Hello, and welcome to Industry Elites. On this podcast, Industry Elite's very own Natalie and Vicky are going to be interviewing business owners and individuals who have made their mark in their respective industries. Brian Mayhem is the founder and CEO of CFSI Loan Management. He is responsible for the firm's overall strategy, reporting, and general management of CFSI. Since founding the firm in 2012, Mr. Mingham has transformed CFSI to a leading nationwide construction risk mitigation firm by creating key strategies and hiring the best team in the space. In his role, Mr. Mingham has continued to focus on building CFSI's year-over-year revenue growth by identifying high-growth market segments. Mr. Mayhem is a high-energy, results-oriented executive with proven experience in all aspects of startups and growth initiatives to create viable businesses. He has proven his ability to capitalize on market opportunities, driving revenue and profits, combining entrepreneurial vision with strong management, leadership, and relationship-building skills. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this new episode of Industry Elites. We want to welcome our very special guest, Brian Mingham, who's the founder and CEO of CFSI Loan Management, and we're welcoming him to the conversation today. So, Brian, how are you doing today? Very good. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Awesome stuff. We're excited to have you on as well. So, uh, we chatted about a bit about it before, but we always want to really just touch base with everybody we have on the podcast and see how they've been doing. I know 2020 brought a lot of different things to the table that we didn't think could ever be possible. So how was that time? How was 2020 for you? 2020 started off as such a great year. January and February, everything was nice and humming along. A little bit of news about a virus in China and never thought it would reach here. Uh, Then it came here, we started getting shut down. CFSI is in the construction business. You know, it hurt the construction business pretty good to start with, and then it started impacting our employees. It's a challenging year that we all learned from. Uh, Luckily, uh, you know, our employees stayed safe. We learned a lot. We never thought we could go remote. And, you know, here we are in, uh, in January of 21, and we're still remote. Have you found that COVID has kind of affected your work-life balance with being remote? Or are you one of those people that can just, this is work, this is home, and make that divide very easily? Not for me. Um, You know, as an entrepreneur and a business owner, uh, the buck stops with you. And uh, when it did hit, right, we had customers that really felt it and it impacted their business. So we had to find ways to generate revenue to keep all of our people employed. So, you know, you, you never pause as an, as an entrepreneur, I don't think. I mean, when things are humming along, you're planning for the days that they're not. And when they're not, you're working extra hard to make sure you get back to where you were. I'm an up at five o'clock reading and shutting off my computer at 7.30 or eight. So I work half days, as I tell people, it's just either the first half of the day or the second half of the day. That's definitely something that I think a lot of people have it 
been struggling with, I find, and obviously yourself, like you said, you're an entrepreneur, so, and you are the, you are the founder and the CEO. So that's a lot of pressure that one person I'm assuming would have, especially in something like this. And like you said, you're planning for things, but you never essentially would have thought, I think that this is a type of plan that you would have had to put into action. Did you, so did you find that like there was a lot of transition in that sense, or did you guys have a lot of things already set up that made that transition just like a tiny bit easier? Yes, um, you know our, our our management team here is is top notch. So as things really started to develop, we made plans early, because we're in Colorado. We do have snow days. We have plans for emergency, right? Blizzards. It happens. The world doesn't stop when we get snowed in. So all of our employees had access remotely through VPN. Uh, and the ability to work from home. So our transition was pretty easy getting home, but it's a different story to have people working from home versus, you know, home for the day. There's some people that are built for it. Others, yeah. other hourly type of employees, line employees, just don't have a work set up at home, don't have a dedicated spot where the dog and the kids and people don't leave them alone. We've all got used to hearing dogs and kids and doorbells <laughs> and every other sound you can possibly imagine on a on a Zoom call and talking to clients. Amazon so, packages. Yeah, Amazon <laughs> packages. Yeah. Well, hold on, my Amazon package. I have to sign for this one. Those are the things we've all gotten used to now. Uh, when before, you know, people would get uptight when their dog barked or uh, you'd hear that. It's like, oh, you're working from home. Now it's now it's expected. So we had an easier transition, I would say, but trying to keep productivity up um, was the challenge initially. I have one kind of side question. You did mention that you do have a lot of kind of snow days in Colorado. Um, we've had a pretty dry winter as it goes. So I'm curious as to what amount of snow do you need to consider it a snow day? Well, it depends if if you're a, a a lifetime Colorado person that knows how to drive in it, or you're a recent transplant from Arizona or Colorado that has never seen snow. If you live in Colorado, you should have you know an SUV or snow tires on your car. There's probably 25% of the people that would call in sick when the snow would come. Part of it had to do with right if if it was a big enough snow. Right, people had kids that were off school and no daycare, and you know that that's one item. But we had people that just said, "I can't drive in the snow. I'm not coming in in two inches of snow." So, oh, um, <laughs> so, so it really it really depends on the person, and then that person yeah. you right, gets a little talking to of, "Yeah, I, I get it. You just moved here from Arizona, but they have something called snow tires. You should go get them, and uh, <laughs> that allows you to drive in the snow." And like I said, right, the world goes on. People in Florida yeah. don't care. They want their report and their fun controlled draw done. Uh, yeah, they're at the beach and, you know, we're shoveling. That's hilarious because I have a friend of mine that lives, um, she lives in London, England, and they just got a, in bunny ears, you can't see it, but a snowfall um, on the weekend. And I would say it was like, I don't know, a quarter of an inch if that, like enough to kind of put like a deep frost on the grass. Um, public transit completely shut down. Everybody was like, stay at home. The mail was canceled. Like the whole city just shut down for this like light 
dusting of snow and I thought that was so funny because my friend's Canadian and she's just like I don't I don't see the issue here it's funny it, it, it happens all the time yeah I mean like you said some people just aren't prepared for it and I think for all three of us we've seen large amounts of snow where a little bit doesn't really worry us too much and yeah exactly get your snow tires on and let's keep it moving people but yeah once it seems like there's that first initial snowfall it's like everybody kind of forgets how to drive it feels like and then afterwards it gets a bit better but there's always that initial where people are like shocked like oh my gosh it's snowing it's like yes like we get snow like this is the time for snow like this stuff happens but it's definitely something that always sparks people's conversation yeah and, and disaster recovery is a, is a very important important yeah. part of our business. We deal with large financial institutions that make us go through very strict approval process. And one of them is disaster recovery. We've had offices in California and earthquakes and wildfires, and we have to be prepared and we have to test them and we test them every year. So we have a process we go through. So, you know, this initially was just a process that was supposed to be a couple of weeks in lockdown uh, and get through it. But um, we've all at this point tested our disaster recovery um, yeah. processes. Uh, to and, the fullest. Yeah, to, to the fullest. <laughs> so, uh, and again, it's all about cybersecurity and, you know, people's home networks and things that people might look at in their private time and now having corporate equipment and um, you know all of those technology solutions have all been implemented in ways we never thought we'd have to. Definitely. So you did touch a bit upon what CFSI does and what you guys are a part of, but maybe for those who don't know about CFSI loan management, what would you say that or how would you guys describe your business to our, so, to our listeners? So we are, uh, the elevator pitches, we're construction risk managers. We help consumers and construction lenders manage construction risk. And what that means is, um, from a consumer's perspective, right, you know, when you're remodeling your kitchen, you call three contractors and get three bids and... All three bids are three different prices and three different scopes of work. We help identify that the contractor is licensed, insured, has the experience to do your project. We make sure that their bid incorporates everything that would be required for a kitchen, right? All of the cabinets and countertops and sinks and fixtures and appliances and new tile and new marble, whatever it is you're doing. And we make sure that it costs out, right? One guy says, oh, I'll do it all for 10 grand. The other guy says, I'll do it for 50 grand. So we validate that through uh, software that makes sure that the bid is reasonable, right? So that's important, right? None of you would want your husband or your wife to sign a contract for something. They tear the house apart and you find out that the guy was a flooring contractor and he's put trying to put a second story on your house that's not the right experience so we help manage that process we help make sure that the work is completed on time and to the scope of work and you know there's liens can be placed on your house if your contractor doesn't pay his subcontractors we validate all of that so we help lenders and borrowers make sure that the construction part of the project is underwritten properly. Banks in particular are good at looking at income and assets 
um, but they're not good at looking at a budget from a contractor to say, you're in Quebec, you're in New York City, you're in Moscow, right? Things are different priced with different labor and wage rates to be able to complete the project on time. So we're risk managers is really what we do. We're a service provider for uh, consumers and financial institutions that are making construction loans. I find that a very interesting concept because kind of at the moment, my parents are looking, they have a carport and they're looking to get a garage made instead, Um, which construction wise, I'm no expert, but I assume it's not a crazy task to kind of add a wall basically in a garage door. Um, But they went to this one contractor and he did a quote and it was just like a one line item quote and it was something ridiculous. It was like 110,000. And my dad was like, are you serious? Like, I want a quote that's broken down by kind of line item. And of course, he ghosted him when he asked for that form of a quote. So he didn't get one where the costs are actually going for. So I find that a really like kind of interesting concept that there is that middleman to kind of get rid of these sketchy situations, for lack of a better word. That is the most perfect example anybody could ever do that's that's real life. We see it all the time. People say, well, okay, that sounds good. I don't, you don't know what you're paying for. You're getting a garage. It, it, it could be lopsided. He could put a garage door on it. He could just not put up a wall. He could put lattice up. And he says, you, you sign the contract, here you go. Line by line, term you used, we use every day. It's very specific. There's permitting, there's roofing, there's lumber, there's shear walls, there's concrete, there's garage doors, there's garage door openings, there's electrical, there's plumbing. All those things go into it that you need to know, right? I mean, mm-hmm. what am I what am I getting for 110 grand? Um, so that's the perfect guy that you walk away from because then he asks, okay, I'm going to need 50% up front to get started. And people every day give 50% up front. That guy's phone number gets turned off. And, you know, to your point, he was the only guy that, you know, called my dad back. And so I gave the guy 50 grand. He said he'd be back in two weeks and now his phone doesn't work and he wasn't even listed on the, the city's website and he's not really a contractor and your dad's out 50 grand. Happens every single day. And then your mother will yeah. punch, your mother will punch okay. him in the face and say, can't believe you lost 50 grand. <laughs> and then you got to start all over. I feel like that would be the least amount of things she would do. <laughs> yeah, no, it's interesting because I know like, so that was like obviously happened to my parents. Well, they didn't lose money, but the getting ghosted by the contractor was a real thing. But um, it's funny because this is not like the first time I've heard of this kind of situation. Like I've heard of lots of people, they find general contractors online or um, a Kijiji ad or Craigslist, something like that. Exactly, same deal. They do um, a half deposit. They do half the work or some weird sketchy job and then you never hear from them again. And it's just kind of funny how it's so common but it happens so much, like it's almost kind of comical. And with a consumer, we're all programmed to find a good deal and the cheapest price. It's just, Mm -hmm. it's part of what we do. You go online and you shop for shoes or you shop for clothes and it's this, oh, it's the same thing. He's 
just going to build a garage or so this guy's 50 grand cheaper. I'm going that way. But we never check out the contractor. We don't know if he's even done it. So the low bid isn't the good bid. You have to do research. But in 99% of the time, right, you're a two working family trying to support your household. You get a task, you accomplish the task, you hire the guy, and he does half the work. And when you tear out half of your kitchen and they don't come back, your wife is yelling at you. She's going to kill you that the house is torn up. It's, you know, it's a marriage ender. So that's where we help consumers. And from the bank's perspective, if a bank lent you the money, the same thing would would happen is I lent you 50,000 to do your kitchen. You spent the 50,000 already. The kitchen's torn out and you need another 50,000 to finish it. Well, where's the money coming from? I don't know. I don't have any savings. I can't finish it. You stop paying, you move out, you don't have a kitchen. The lender takes a house back that doesn't have a kitchen. You end up with a foreclosure on your record. Uh, there's all kinds of bad things that happen from the bank's perspective if they lent you the money to fix it and it wasn't enough money to fix it. So there are real challenges with construction lending and that's why a lot of people don't like it. But that's where we step in. We help people evaluate and tell you that that's a $100,000 kitchen you want. Well, that's too much. All right, well, don't do such a big kitchen. Don't do marble and don't <laughs> do gold fixtures, right? Do stainless steel and something else. But when you get into it, the real cost is something different. And, and, and we use estimating software like an RS Means or a Marshall and Swift. They're industry standard insurance type of thing. So it's it's updated, you know, semi-annually. They're very good estimating softwares. So you can feel confident, you know, that the pricing you're getting for these things, you know, are, are good. It kind of sounds like you guys are acting as the financial therapists uh, at a certain point, because at some times when people think they have issues, they're maybe not wanting to go to the point of therapy, but for the most part, they probably need that therapist to be able to be like, well, this is the way you should be doing things. But I'm actually kind of curious, based on we're all looking for a deal, we're all kind of looking at saving a few bucks if we can. Is there times where people will come to you, ask for a quote, decide not to go with you guys, and then end up coming back because they've had some sort of negative situation? You know, not not usually in that scenario, but, you know, Vicky, she was talking about, you know, being a financial therapist. And it's funny you say that because we do get into that, right? It's, it's, it's almost like marriage counseling. When the contractor and the borrower get into a dispute, right? It's our job to get the project over the finish line for both of them. So that therapy comes in when the contractor says, you know, they're being mean, they're unrealistic, I did the work, there's a scratch on the wall and they want me to paint the whole house over. Um, they want me to take down the drywall and put up new stuff, right? Change mm -hmm. orders get into place. You know, somebody says, oh, the lumber went up and, and now it's the borrower's fault. And that's where looking at the contract and determining the type of contract it is. Is it a cost plus or is it a fixed cost? So we get into those therapy sessions every single day. We don't get many people that come back and say, I started this project and now I'm in trouble. Yeah. Can you get me out mm -hmm. of it? You know, most people, and, and I'll say most of them are men, 
uh, and probably <laughs> myself included, right? It's, don't ask for directions. I know where I'm going. Yeah. Uh, same thing is I screwed up really bad and I'm not going back to get egg on my face. I'll just, you know, grit it out and try to fix it yeah. myself. So. And then they're in a whole other, it's kind of like one of those, it one just gets bigger and bigger. It's like a spiral web. It starts off small and then you're like, oh no, it's already spinning. And now we're just, we don't really know where to stop it or where to go from here. So it just, like you said, that scenario, that horror story that plays out that, okay, once this happens, then this, then this, then this. And you're just like, oh my gosh, how did we get here? Which is kind of crazy. And it happens every, you know, uh, all the time. Yeah. Um, but that's where you, you know, you lean on people like us to help you work that out because we work with contractors every day and we, we call them out and say, you're wrong. This is an industry standard. You're going to do it this way. Or you're not getting paid. We will not allow the money to be done. And so, you know, they, they know it because we're, our job is risk, right? We're, we're mitigating risk. We don't let you take a 40% draw up front and say that that's okay. Again, people make a business decision every day. We tell people it's not industry standard. You can give them a deposit, sure. Uh, it's not yeah. industry standard. Don't pay them. Oh, but it's my brother's best friend. We recommend oh, we recommend you don't do it. They do it anyway. Yeah. You know, some people just can't get do much at that point. Yeah, you can't do much. You can't fix stupid. Duct, <laughs> duct tape, duct tape, and two by four help. But that's yeah. about it. Yeah. So we're kind of interested to hear a bit of the background on how you started this. So a lot of times what we hear from entrepreneurs is that they saw a gap uh, because of based on their experiences or someone else's experience within the type of industry that they entered that really geared them to want to evolve in that industry. So is that a similar experience you had or was your experience starting out as an entrepreneur a bit different? Yeah, um, it, mine started out a little different. Um, my background was always in mortgage lending. Um, mm -hmm. And when I was in mortgage lending with one, uh, large originators, uh, there was a company that had a similar business model in the late 90s. Uh, that I had worked with and I thought it was an interesting concept and as I went through my career it just was in the back of my head and the mortgage turmoil and the financial crisis of 2008 you know left me without a job in the mortgage business so I started a couple of different real estate related uh, default service companies and uh, one of the companies I had started was this loan management company which is the opposite of default, right? Cleaning it, cleaning out foreclosed houses is on the bad end, and construction is when the market comes back. So, uh, when I started this, this was going to be my way to get out of the default services business. So, uh, it, it's a it's a very very nichey, very few uh, companies in the space that do residential, commercial, multifamily. I mean, we do small $50,000 projects and we just won our largest one ever as a $500 million wow. project. Wow, congratulations. Yeah. In, That's in, amazing. In New York City. So, um, you know, we, we do a lot of stuff all over the country. There's, and we are a national provider of, of services. So, um, you know, it's, it's grit and finding opportunities. I mean, we every day there's a new product or a customer says, can you do? And we're, we're nimble enough to be able to evaluate an opportunity and say, yes, we can do it. There's profit in it and there's enough people that want it. 
mm-hmm. you know, or we pass and refer them to somebody that can yeah. do it better than we can. So it sounds like what you went into is something more of like a proactive business as, as opposed to like a reactive business. So you guys are looking to kind of save people before it gets to the point where they need that saving essentially. So, I mean, that's definitely something that's quite interesting. And like you said, it's very very niche and I'm sure if those who are not in that specific industry or in that um, in that market wouldn't really know too much about it so I appreciate you kind of breaking that down for us and how it all came to be so I know a large thing is obviously providing loans through uh, the consumer and the construction so we're kind of curious as you reside in Colorado right now and as Corona has taken a large toll on I think every industry for the most part one thing that we found is that a lot of people are going back and looking within their homes or looking within their lives and seeing like, okay, how can we better this? Or how can we even just renovate something that we've been talking about renovating for years now? So just in general, how would you say that like the housing market itself from your space has been impacted, if that makes sense? Perfect sense. And it is booming, right? That that consumer segment of the business um, you can't find a contractor. I mean, they, if you're wow. if, if a contractor calls you, there's something wrong with them because yeah. because every good contractor is busy doing work, and that's what we're seeing, right? We've we've seen a mass exodus exodus from the largest MSAs, the San Francisco's, wow. Los Angeles, New York's. Mm-hmm. Everybody's moving out of there close neighborhood walk down no car neighborhoods to suburbia and with that people are finding out i'm spending more time looking at the same four walls now i'm staring at that wall that they hate and they're like oh i got me about the wall (laughs) i can't stand the color that we painted in here right i need to blow it out i need a dedicated door that i can close so the dog doesn't come in when i'm on a zoom call we're seeing massive amounts of renovation massive backyard expansions, more open space, covered patios, outdoor grills, fire pits, bigger kitchens. But really, it's office galore. It's dedicating, you know, the the dining room that you use once a year if you're lucky uh, with those dishes that you're not allowed to touch are, are all being converted and a lot more electrical uh, you know, and cat five and six wiring, high mm-hmm. bandwidth stuff. People are moving and creating uh, that home office experience. And people are saying, I don't need to go to the office. I mean. No, now people are, some people are loving it now. I don't even know how some people are going to go back. <laughs> no one's going to want to. We, ha- we have 50 <laughs> people here that um, are already saying they don't want to come back and their productivity is fine. Now I'm trying to figure out is how to get rid of half of my space. That's true. I'm sure a lot of leases, uh, and not even just leases, if own buildings are the lease, like that's going to be hard to maneuver that now because if people are leaning towards home, what do you do with all the space? And that's it, right? I'm I'm in a lease for the next few years, right? How do I get out of my you know 12,000 square feet that I have, right? How do I go to six? Look mm-hmm. at Google and Apple and these in Microsoft that say they're not going to have people back Office in 21, spaces. right? I mean... Apple yeah. just built a gazillion billion square foot flying saucer in San Jose. Look at the Apple <laughs> new building they opened. I mean, it's literally, I don't know, five million square foot circle. 
that looks like a wow. spaceship. Yeah, it's 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 incredible to think that there's like, okay, well maybe we won't have people come back. Or or how do you redesign a Wall Street, right? Those guys sit in cubes elbow to elbow on a trading desk. Yeah, and that's super close for sure. Now that's is that even going to be allowed? Cube life is is gone, right? You're sitting there with your partner and you're chit-chatting all day. Now everybody's going to need tall cubes or a door and face mask and a and, and a oxygen tank so you can breathe your own air i mean you, you should all work at home because i don't want to be working in an office like that but yeah as we were saying the whole work from home situation so now i'm curious actually with the position of owning your own business were you hesitant in the beginning about a work from home situation right like like i said earlier right when when you're home for a snow day it's not it's yeah. not an issue but we can't control what people do during the day and we've had to make some modifications and you know some technology things that pre prevent people from opening up certain types of websites and things of that nature on on our servers and things of that nature like i said people do what they want on their personal time but when you're on corporate equipment trying to get things done and there's two types of people, those that wake up at seven in the morning and start working right away. And right, those that don't clock in on time and they're working extra hours and they're overworking when they shouldn't be. And then you have the other ones that are going to the gym and open a file and make it look like they're working and out goofing off and making breakfast and taking their kids to school and whatever else they do. So. Yeah, that's hard to know because I'm sure it's a lot of trust as the employer having a bunch of employees under you and really having to navigate the situation because I'm sure you don't want to – there's a balance of, okay, you know that you're in this new environment, this new situation, so there's some adaptation. Like you said, people might not be working exactly how they were, but as long as you said the productivity is there, but then the other people who aren't working at, at all, it's like how do you – it's hard. Like I feel like you have to maybe like investigate the situation versus when you see someone in the office, you know if they're doing their work or not for the most part, right? Like you'll see the person who's talking to someone at seven out of the eight hours of the day versus the people who you'll be like, oh, I didn't even know you were in today just because they've been sitting at their desk the whole time with like their head down just focusing on whatever they had to do or had to get done. And that's the great thing about technology. Um Right, we our phone system is Ring Central. Right, Ring Central gives us every report we want to know. We can see who's on the phone, how long they've been on, who they're talking to, whether it's internal or external, how many times a day the person called their mother, their brother, their wife, how long they chatted on the phone. Right, so we have all the data. Right, same thing on our operating system. We know how many times you've touched a file, how long it took you to process a file. We know all of that. We know how long it took in January of 20 when you were sitting there, you know, doing 50 files a day and you get home and you're doing 10. So, so now it's all about metrics, right? It's all yeah. about how many, how many widgets do you produce a day? Um, how productive are you at home? Again, we, we can have 10% of our uh, office is allowed to be in the office. So those that need an office environment are welcome in the office, right? And all of that plays into, right, evaluations and conversations. And that's having a great management team for mm -hmm. people to help motivate. We're recognizing people even though that they're not here. 
in monthly great jobs. We're sending people Amazon gift cards or Starbucks gift cards, whatever they want, oh, Walmart, nice. right? So, so we're trying to motivate people. We're trying to send people hams and turkeys for Thanksgiving and Christmas. Oh, wow. So good job. Stay healthy. Don't, right? Don't go out and party at the bars and get Corona, right? Just yeah. Stay home, stay safe. Here's your here's your turkey. <laughs> here's some food. Here's a you know here's some gift cards. So we try to do yeah, little things. It's it's not the same of you know we used to always have birthday celebrations and every month they'd yeah. come in and we'd have cakes and cupcakes and everybody would sing and you know there'd be potluck Thursday where people would you know bring in whatever things they were and people would have little potlucks and now even when people come back we're probably not going to be able to do it for. Yeah, like is everything going to be have to be separated? Like we're going to not be able to sit, like we said, sit close to each other. We're not going to be able to like have those like potluck type things like we call them here uh, for our work. But yeah, we had similar things as well. And it's definitely going to change, I think, a lot of that work culture. Because I think work culture is a probably a big part, not probably, I would say from experience, it is a big part of why you would love your job, right? Like if it's not a good work culture, then that's going to be difficult to enjoy it as much as you do. So having those little things that you guys are able to do even during this time to recognize employees, I'm sure goes a long way for them. And I'm sure it makes them feel recognized, like you said, and really taking a moment to be like, okay, we know everyone's working hard and here's the few things that we can do, even though we can't do the other things that we normally do. So that's definitely a great thing. Yeah, no, absolutely. We spend, right, you spend eight or nine hours at work with people, um, right? You don't get to spend that much time with your kids and your spouses. I mean, you you wake up a couple hours before work and you go to bed and come home for three or four or five hours and you're in bed. So you're spending more time with these people. So, um, and again, you miss the gossip. You miss the water cooler talk. You miss the bachelor, bachelorette <laughs> yeah. conversation, right? You miss all yeah. the, oh, yeah. did you see? And and that's the thing that people miss. They're they're missing that get away from my husband, my wife, my kids, whatever it is, my significant yeah. other, and no biz and no travel. Right? I mean, I yeah. I travel a hundred thousand miles a year. That's not happening. No customer visits, no conferences, and again, it's it it takes an adjustment for road warriors. Right? We're used to. I'm comfortable in a hotel. You know, I get I get emails from, you know, the Marriott and Weston and every year it's like, do you want to buy our bed? And I tell my wife, I'm like, can we can we just wallpaper our bedroom and get the Weston bed so I feel like home because I spend yeah. I spend 120 nights a year in a hotel. Right. A third, oh, wow. of, third of my life is in a hotel. I'm like, I feel comfortable there. So we all have, you know, our little isms that we have sure. that, we ha that we've had to get used to yeah definitely think it's been an adjustment and like we said we're not really sure when everyone was saying oh um we'll hope everything goes back to normal well i think we all realize that's definitely not ideal and uh i don't really know that it's going to play out like that like whatever normal is going to be it's definitely not going to be what normal was before so question as well. So over your years working and uh, being an entrepreneur and now being the CEO, what are some common questions that you feel like you got asked uh, as someone who started in this business? What's something that always pops up, I think, as like a frequent question, maybe from like the, we can do like some from like the consumer perspective and maybe some from like the construction loan management perspective. Yeah, I think in general is, is the entrepreneur question is, how did you get into it or what made you choose this line of business? And I was always 
you know, a large corporation, senior salesperson. I was never looking to be an entrepreneur. I mean, there's kids that come out of college and work in their garage and start Microsoft and Google and right, they're entrepreneurs from 20. Sure, I, I cut grass as a, as a 12 year old to make money to play video games at the bowling alley. If that tells you that I'm 50 um, because bowling alleys existed and that's where we they still have bowling alleys. They have like, um, they have game, uh, I guess it's like game centers like attached to it. No worries about that. You're not aging yourself too much. They still have those. <laughs> yeah. So I, I guess you could say I was somewhat of an entrepreneur, but it was for candy and video games. But I, you know, I got forced into entrepreneurship just out of a uh, sheer uh, idea. And, you know, the idea worked. And I tell people yeah. that Right. I could have never been successful had I not spent 20 years in corporate environments learning how business works at a corporate side. I, I think I made fewer mistakes because I understood how a business ran, because I was responsible for P&Ls and hiring and firing and growing businesses, but I always did it with somebody else's money. And it's different when you start using your own money. You look at things a little more critically. But from the entrepreneur perspective, right, uh, I tried it. And you have to learn to not be afraid to fail. That's difficult. It, it's very difficult, right? Because, you know, as a competitive type of salesperson, you never want to fail. You're always after the, the next sale. The, the couple of things I tell people is don't be afraid to fail. Don't don't risk more than you can afford to risk. And again, you know, with big risk come big payoffs. I mean, look at Elon Musk was on the ropes a couple of years ago uh, and now turned out to be the richest man in the world by far. Yeah, I definitely see some past interviews with him and he was it was very early on in his uh, entrepreneurship I guess idea and just the money he was putting down. It was a lot of risk and like you said that comes with big reward but sometimes it doesn't it doesn't you go bankrupt and so right i was yeah. i was married with a young kid and i couldn't risk everything so i risked enough uh to where i wouldn't have to file bankruptcy right so that's one thing i tell people is don't be afraid to fail and you know risk what you have do something that you know right i was in the mortgage finance space don't go into manufacturing belts Right. If you don't know anything yeah. about manufacturing, you don't know anything about apparel. You're in the wrong don't, space. <laughs> don't don't do that. Right. You can't. Yeah. It'll take you longer to learn it than finding the opportunity in a space that you're familiar with. And and those those and then the last one is know your strengths. I've got a big. I'm a big mouth sales guy. Um, I'm <laughs> I'm I'm very good at talking and can fill up. Yeah you know, hours worth of stuff. And I'm a relationship builder. I'm not an ops guy. I'm good at catching the fish and throwing them in the boat and going out fishing again. Um, yeah. I'm not good at cleaning and setting it up in the process. So I hired very good operators when, yeah. I, when I started. These guys, no operations, but they weren't good fishermen. Man, they, they were the best at what they did. And so know that if I had to sit here and bring in the business and process it, I would have screwed it up.
seems like a lot of areas that you would have had to learn about as opposed to just having people with that with that knowledge kind of intertwined in your team like it feels like you'd have to learn like how many people's jobs and that I'm sure would have taken a larger amount of time and you wouldn't have been able to be as successful uh, in the time frame that you were you're you are exactly right so we always say around here right stay in your lane um, stay in your swim lane so you're good at this you do that be very good be cross-trained right know enough about yeah. right I know enough about all of our business to talk to it and be dangerous yeah. but Somebody, I couldn't go in and write a report about something. I know what goes in it, but I couldn't do it. As, as the owner, you, I have to look globally at everything, right? So I'm, you know, I'm watching finance and HR and each of the business lines and watching sales. So when you start off in your garage, it's it's you, right? I've started all yeah. my businesses as me and an idea, and when it works, you hire people. Um, if I went out and spent a billion dollars to go buy a business or a million dollars or a hundred thousand dollars, you're buying somebody else's, you're buying a paycheck is what my accountant told me. Don't go out and buy a paycheck. Save the money that the million dollars you want to pay for that $200,000 a year income and spend $200,000 a year growing a business that you know. Uh, again, it's, it's a big risk. You know, if people are making... 50 or 100 grand and to give up that paycheck is a big step and i i was forced into it i would have never done i would have never given up my paycheck yeah, I, was gonna ask, I was like would you have done it if you didn't need to do it would would have never never done it would have never thought about it i had a nice comfortable lifestyle made plenty of money but now i would never go back i i would yeah, i would never awesome. go back to do it again i would start something else and make no money before I went back to making a paycheck for somebody else. And that's what you learn. I mean, I could start a new business every day because that's the best part. For, for me, it's the idea and the build. And once it's running, I get bored, right? I always have to be built. <laughs> you like the excitement of uh, everything coming together in the sense of those trials and tribulations that got you to this point. You're like, Okay, but now it's like there's a certain rush, I guess, with always wanting to be busy and always wanting to really keep going that you're like, where can we kind of go next from here? You're like, I'm good with this, but like, I kind of want to see, I don't want to be comfortable. I feel like now maybe because you're in the position in the beginning of because your comfort was essentially taken away. I don't know if this has to, if this really does correlate, but looking at this now, you're like, you realize how enjoyable it is to not be comfortable, if that makes sense. It does. And believe me, my wife would say, would you just stop doing that? Would you just slow, <laughs> would you just slow down? <laughs> um, would you slow down and look in the rearview mirror a little bit and sit on the beach with your feet up and, uh, and do it? But, you know, yeah. you're, you're never content. And I don't know if I have to be a billionaire or a millionaire or whatever the number is to say, you know, relax you don't have to do it anymore but it's the chase and the excitement of the build and i don't know that that gets old well it's definitely something i'm sure that keeps a lot of entrepreneurs going and i'm sure if, from several conversations that you've had in your years of business uh, you've probably related with many of those individuals based on that sheer concept so that's quite interesting so i want to touch on the fact that 
in this time in quarantine now, how we spoke about a lot of people are doing renovations. And then you also mentioned across the U.S. you found that those people who are living in those condo buildings or those townhomes or the res the areas that are not suburbia, they're moving to areas like suburbia or they're buying that large piece of land and building their dream home. So even though quarantines allow us to like maybe reevaluate and everyone's trying to see, okay, where can we go from here? Do you feel like people are maybe overstretching it a bit or would you say that everybody's making those smart decisions in, during this time? I think it's a combination of both. I think that with the low interest rate environment, the affordability of going bigger and building what you want is more attainable. You know, unfortunately, this pandemic has disproportionately impacted the lower segment of, of, of our society with restaurants, servers, and house cleaners, and maids, and chefs, and cooks, and right people, in, in, especially in the U.S., all of that has been shut down. So, so that group traditionally weren't the people that lived in the major cities. They tended to live in the you know, more affordable areas, not the Boston's, New York's, L.A., San Francisco's. So I think that, you know, those that could afford to do it are doing it. And it's, a, you know, a very good move for them. Yeah. I just don't know that the folks that have lived in Manhattan for 20 years that, you know, went down to Florida and, you know, bought something in Miami. And there are city people and there are suburbia people. Yeah, like how that's a large transition. Because even with quarantine now, that's good for now. But eventually it's going to come to something different and they're going to, what, move back? Yeah, they're going back. They're, they're, they're going back for sure. I don't, I don't see that the city is dead like people are talking about. Yeah. I think that people are going to have second homes wherever these are. A lot of people are moving to those second home type of communities and really doing it up and then keeping their Manhattan apartments and just saying, you know, I'll, I'll be back in a year or two because it's a lifestyle. And so I think people Definitely. are trying to figure out that lifestyle balance. And do I have to travel the world and go to Europe and Chile? And you know what, maybe, <laughs> maybe I'll just go to Miami and go fishing on my boat to stay away from people yeah i mean that's definitely fair that's something that hopefully a lot of people are taking into consideration i know a lot of people now obviously when it was like nicer weather not particularly now in this season but everything was anything that you could do outdoors so the things that normally weren't packed during whatever season were now on like overflow and overdrive so a lot of times like how you're mentioning con contractors it was hard to get contractors in i feel like a lot of things now the outdoor spaces a lot of people know that they can rack up the price of a lot of these amenities in the sense that people are going to be more inclined to get them now because of they're reevaluating okay if we can only be here what are we comfortable with being here with so we're we're talking about like the list for let's say the contractors who do pools installments and all of that those have been like i guess waiting lists up until like this coming summer just due to the overflow and the price hike these people are making like astronomical amounts of money where other people are making like nothing so it's just a crazy comparison the sense of like i guess how things continue to be altered um but from that point and we we're talking about the homes uh, in major cities do you think at some point there's going to be such an influx of homes on the market and an influx of contractors comparison to now how there's like nothing available and nobody available to do anything with it 
I don't think so. The U.S. has been short uh, housing and affordable housing in particular for years. And that's where the multifamily uh, business has been just tearing up because they were building as many apartment buildings as you possibly could because people could live there affordably. But now as people are moving out, builders, right, they don't have the same... You, you pull a permit to build a 100-unit uh, apartment building, that, that's one process. You yeah. build, a, you know, 100 units of housing, that's a much different development, right? Somebody wants a park and somebody wants a firehouse and somebody wants a school and somebody wants widened roads and versus the apartment that's on the corner of, you know, Main and First Street, it just goes up. The logistics that goes in and the city councils and all the people that have their hands open makes it very difficult. And then to build a $200,000 house for people that are just making an honest wage is next to impossible. The builders don't want to build it. There's not enough margin in it for it. So why do I want to why do I want to build something where I'm going to make 10% or I could build something I make 50%? You know, people are buying and here you go. So the the only glut that could happen is on the back end of the um, forbearance for all the folks that couldn't pay their mortgage, which is really just taking advantage of those that have already been down and kicked, uh, is to lose their house again and sell it to somebody else or lose it in foreclosure. Hopefully, people have learned from the past that they they Hopefully. don't they don't let that happen right in the yeah. last downturn values were impacted negatively people drove up prices so far uh, that they couldn't afford them then there was an oversupply this time there's an undersupply of houses so people could sell those homes make money and then go find an apartment to rent or another house to rent yeah. and I think that's the key is making sure that right people don't get foreclosed on because there's equity in these homes and you don't want people to not have the equity because they can start their life over again when this yeah. pandemic ends and we all get our shots and we're all good they can go buy another house yeah definitely a scary situation for those who are already down and like you said being in that position now if they're not recovering at some point that there isn't kind of a point to come above water then it's going to be difficult even with in in canada now and obviously in different provinces there's different real estate values but all of the prices are just getting astronomically high and they do the comparisons between even just like the amount of renovations and the amount of cost that goes into the material of those renovations as well on top of like just the general overall home costs they're rising astronomically and then everything else isn't following suit. So when it comes to first time home buyers, it's you'll get this low mortgage interest rate, but the house is still, let's say, within like 900000 or an average of a million dollar home. And who starting out can afford that million dollar home without being tied to their home for the next 30, 40 years, whatever 
whatever mortgage plan you have. But that's just crazy because at that point, where do you have any money to do anything else? And then that's what you're finding, right? You're finding all the people that went to work for Google and Apple and all the people and they were living in San Francisco and they were paying $3,500 a month for um, an apartment. Um, and then they were working at home in that little apartment and they decided that, you know, they were still making their 150 grand a year or whatever as a first kid out of college and I'm yeah, loving life and I can't afford it because I'm paying all the rent. And then they move to Ohio and they buy a house for $800 a month and now they're rich. Um, yeah. So, you know, it, different it, lifestyle. it's a different lifestyle and that's what people are finding out is do I need to live at the beach in California? Can I live somewhere else that might have snow or rain or something else? Can I still be happy there? Are there outdoor activities that I can do? Can I hunt and fish and boat and ski or walk or whatever it is you like to do? Um, we've all changed the way we look at things and construction plays into that because people Definitely. want things the way they want and they're gonna rehab it. So we're in a very good spot with a very good team. You're right, supporting consumers and lenders in their quest to uh, do it right. Because when you do it wrong, it's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> there's there's no way around it. It's black and white. It's wrong. That's definitely a good way to leave that. So before we close out uh, for our listeners with this episode, Brian, is there any final things that you want to touch on uh, before we go? No, I think, you know, we've, we've gone a lot of different directions and touched on yeah. a lot of things. I would say the main thing <laughs> is, is... If you're going to do, as a consumer, if you're going to do a construction project, um, verify your contractor, do a background check, check their Better Business Bureau, check their references, make sure the budget is complete, make sure it is what you want. If you want granite, specify you want granite. If you want new cabinets or types of appliances, be specific. And if you're getting money from a lender, realize that they may require you use a company like us um, and we're there to protect you and protect oh, them. Yeah, no, sorry. Just to pop in, that's interesting that they'll want that, which is, I guess, obviously an asset for sure because they don't want, I'm sure, as many problems as just like the consumer wouldn't want any problems. Correct. But, and again, it's an extra fee, right? We don't, we don't yeah. do this just for the fun of it, right? So yeah, it no, costs, <laughs> right? It costs an extra few grand to do it. But at the end of the day, um, you you sleep at night knowing that um, everything is protected. You don't end up with liens at the end of the project. Your house is done. It's the way you wanted it because you don't have the time or experience to do do it. All you're looking at is the cheapest price, and don't go for the cheapest price. It's never it's never the best option. Never a good option. Well, I think that's a great way to end it. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast with us today. Awesome. I thank you very much, Natalie and Vicki, and uh, look forward to a successful oh. and happy and healthy 2021. <laughs>